We continue today with our series, Love Unpacked and Unleashed, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Today's topic, Love Does Not Envy. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Love does not envy, but I do, or can. If you are taller, or younger, or stronger, or handsomer than I am, I can envy you. If you have a full head of hair and perfect teeth that meet in the front without a gap, I can envy you. If others reward you with more respect, more wealth, more success than I have enjoyed, I can envy you. If you are a cool dude with a beard and an attractive wife and four lovely children who's planted a church in the most secular city in the United States, I can envy you. I say can because I don't always or I do and stop, or I don't and start. And dealing with that inconsistency is the task of this sermon. Acknowledging our envy to ourselves or to others is difficult. We engage in many forms of denial. We say of the success of people we envy, oh, he or she is not worthy of that success. I would applaud them if they had fairly achieved it. Or we say, they would be better off with a little adversity. Things have been too easy for them. Jonathan Edwards pointed this out 200 years ago in his lectures on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's still true. But in fact, I know when I envy you. When I envy you, I feel empty, disempowered, weakened. When I envy, I feel anger towards the person I envy, and I become critical of them and demeaning. I remember my supposed best friend in college. I discovered that I really envied him after I tried to steal his girlfriend, some friend I was. While my envy has never reached the level of physical violence, it regularly approaches another summit, what the Germans call schadenfreude, delight in the misfortunes of another, like when the Yankees fail to make the playoffs. <laughs> At its worst, the empty, angry, resentful, delighting in another's suffering is nothing other than demonic. For demons, we learn in scripture, have no life, no being of their own but look for another being to possess and to destroy. So this envy thing is serious business. It is the opposite of agape love. If we understand agape as willing and working the best for another, often at sacrifice to ourselves, then envy is willing and working the worst for another, failing to love them, and wanting to sacrifice them to our felt needs. That is why love does not envy. The Bible is full of envy, from Cain and Abel, whose sad story we just heard, 
to Ishmael and Isaac, Joseph and his brothers, to the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. From Joshua with Medad and Eldad to Haman and Mordecai in the book of Esther, Daniel and David, rather, and Uriah the Hittite, husband of the voluptuous Bathsheba, to the elder brother and the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son, and those who worked a full day and those who were hired for the last hour of labor who were paid just as much in today's gospel reading. Surely God says to us what the vineyard owner says to the grumbling all-day laborers, literally, is your eye bad? That is, are you envious? Because I am good. If the Bible is full of envy, it is steadfast in condemning it. Peter writes, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And James writes, as you survivors from July's steam bath may remember, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And Paul confesses that his covetousness was the sin that humbled him and opened him to the grace of God in Jesus. No longer the proud Pharisee, but the penitent sinner. He writes, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. The book of Proverbs sums it up. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So Jonathan Edwards can fairly conclude, envy is like a powerful eating cancer, preying on the vitals, offensive and full of corruption. So if love does not envy, and indeed envy exterminates love, how do we deal with envy in ourselves to become more consistently loving? How do we excise the cancer of envy? Is suppression adequate to say this is sin, I repent of it, I will stop it right now? I think not, at least in my experience. Envy keeps popping up again, like a whack-a-mole game. But we make a discovery when we look at the Greek word for envy, which helps us answer this challenge. The Greek word for our text the Greek words for our text, love does not envy, are he agape u zeloi. Zelo means to be filled with jealousy or envy. Sometimes, at least, it means that, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. But sometimes, zelo has a positive meaning. At the end of chapter 12, Paul writes, earnestly desire the higher gifts. 
In chapter 14, he writes, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And again, earnestly desire to prophesy. All three times, the word translated earnestly desire or strive is zelo. So the challenge for us is this. How does zelo, meaning to envy, become instead zelo, meaning to earnestly desire the things of God, and most especially agape love? I think that what we are looking for here is transformation by the working of the Holy Spirit, and not just suppression of sin. A wise scholar once noted that Buddhists practice the denial of desire, whereas Christians experience the transformation of desire. And this is one example. Transformation from envy to a real desire for the welfare of another comes in three ways, I suggest. Through restoring our own personal relationship with God, through deepening our fellowship with other believers, and through focusing on our destiny as citizens of God's eternal kingdom. You see, envy of others is a symptom, really. And handled rightly, it provides an opportunity for a cure. Envy of others is a symptom of inadequacy in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Abba. When we envy, we are imperfect in the knowledge and love of God. And Psalm 37 tells us what to do to renew that relationship. The verbs alone are very strong. Trust, delight, commit. My episodes of envy tell me that I mistrust, delight in something other than God, have retracted in part my commitment to him whenever I envy. The psalm is also full of things not to do. Fret not, repeated three times, if you noticed. Be still, wait patiently, refrain, forsake. I may be old and bald and gap-toothed, but God assures me that I am his beloved child, adopted by grace and gifted by the Holy Spirit for the work of his kingdom. As the bumper sticker I once saw put it, God don't make no trash. And when I envy, I am trashing myself. So my advice when you envy is go back to God and start living a guided life, guided by God, with renewed commitment and trust and delight. You may remember the ingredients of that guided life that I suggested to you a month ago. Seek guidance daily as a way of life and not just in a crisis. Examine yourself for sins that keep you from hearing what God is saying to you and ask God to deal with them. Practice listening in prayer to let God get a word in edgewise. Meditate on scripture and ask God to apply it to your situation. Seek God's guidance primarily to grow in service to him and not just to advance your own interests. 
A life guided by the Spirit will not be an envious life. You will be too busy about your father's business to have time for envy. You will be too excited about what he is doing in your life to envy what others have or do. Envy is also transformed into agape through our deepening fellowship with one another. The Greek for fellowship is koinonia, and it means literally having things in common. The body of Christ as a metaphor for fellowship in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a wonderful vision of interdependence with personal integrity. Come to the retreat on October 26th to learn more about and experience this. But when I share with you fellowship under Christ's headship, I stop envying you. Rather, I am proud of you, concerned that you develop and use your gifts for the common good. When Tim Teal finishes a triathlon with a personal best time, I'm part of that in a sense, for I'm in fellowship with him. Or when Carolyn Stickney goes to Kenya to offer medical care, I am part of that. Or when Amanda Allison helps save a baby's life in the children's hospital ICU, I am part of that because we are in fellowship in the Church of the Cross. Or when Chris and Amy Stroop reach out to lonely international students at the house they manage, I too am part of that. And I know, or should know, that Tim and Carolyn and Amanda and Chris and Amy are praying for me to get out of any envious snits I may fall into and to use and develop my gifts for Christ and for them. So deepening koinonia in the body of Christ, as well as a guided life, can obliterate envy. But what is our destiny as citizens in God's eternal kingdom? And how does focusing on that destiny help us to be transformed from envy to agape? Our destiny is simply to grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Paul writes, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, which is the Spirit. And Jesus himself tells in the parable of the talents, where the master says to the faithful servants, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of much. And this is God's reward for us who have followed him in this life. Paul writes to the Corinthians, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. And when Paul writes about the resurrection body, which is our final destiny and hope, he chooses the metaphor of the seed and the mature plant to describe the relationship between our mortal bodies and our resurrection body. He says, that body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Friends, If this is our destiny, then we are now 
to what we will be in the kingdom of God as an acorn is to a mighty oak. Wow. Watch out. And all this after a brief life, and take it from me at 71, it goes by fast, then why envy anyone else? Rather, look forward to experiencing the fullness of God's special, unique will for you in Christ. I want to close with a story. The accompanying theology is not so good, but the point it makes is profound. Someone dies, me, for example, and goes to heaven's gate. I knock and ask to enter. St. Peter turns me away. I am angry and envious of the blessed saints. So I say, I suppose I am rejected because I didn't walk the streets of Calcutta rescuing the dying. I wasn't Mother Teresa. No, says the Lord. That's not why you were rejected. Well, says I, I suppose I didn't arouse the conscience of a nation and lead my people to secure their God-given rights. I wasn't Martin Luther King Jr. No, says the Lord, that's not why you were rejected. Well, says I, I didn't preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands and lead many to make decisions for Christ because I wasn't Dr. Billy Graham. No, says the Lord, that isn't why you were rejected. Well, why then? Because you weren't Sam Abbott. That's the challenge, isn't it? To stop envying and get on with discovering who God made you to be and what God calls you to do. And as we do, envy is transformed into earnest desiring. And we can love with the love with which God loves us. Amen.